0: one of the pew bibles or the they're not pew bibles bench bibles or whatever you want to call them Uh, the number the page number that matthew 6 is on is 473 so you can turn there if you don't have a bible please take that one home that's our gift to you we'd love for you to to take that home and read it and make it your own Uh, as you're turning to matthew 6 welcome we are very very glad that you are here uh, if this is your first time with us, so thankful that you're, you're joining us here this morning. My name is Garrison, and I'm, I'm the pastor here at, at Veritas in Dayton, Ohio. I, I, I'd love to, to meet you, speak with you after service. If, if you have the time, if we have not met before, I would count it a joy to, to be able to talk with you. If you would, please take a moment to fill out the Connect card that is attached to the bulletin that you received when you walked in. Uh, and that's that's just a good way for us to, to learn some information about you and, and know uh, what information to give you to get you uh, involved here with what God is up to at Veritas. There's also a little space for a prayer request. Jot down a few things there. We'd love to be able to pray for you this week. And you can either just give that to a leader or drop it in uh, this bucket or there was supposed to be a bucket there. There's not. Uh, so that's embarrassing. Uh, normally, there's a bucket there. Hopefully we can get one there by the end of the sermon, if anyone would be willing to do that. Uh, and then there's also uh, a little black box that you can slide that in, in uh, on the welcome table out there. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we, we count it a joy to be able to pray for you and, and uh, bring your needs before the Lord this week. Uh, so we're starting a new sermon series on, on prayer this morning, uh, and we, we believe uh, that God has provided what, what's called means of grace, means of grace. These are means uh, through which we, are, uh, we commune with God and, and we're sanctified by His grace. He's provided these, these means, and, and He calls us to devote ourselves uh, to the, the means of grace. And, and these are things like, like His Word and the fellowship of the local church and um, baptism in the Lord's Supper. And, uh, and, and one that is often neglected and, and we find so difficult is prayer. Prayer is a a means of grace. He's provided prayer for us to commune with Him and to, uh, as we express our our adoration of Him and confess sin to Him and and bring our petitions and our needs and desires to Him. And that's what we're going to dig into for the next uh, seven weeks, seven Sundays uh, and that's what we plan on, on doing together as a church family and our city groups for the next seven weeks is, is we're going to spend time together in prayer, praying to God, asking him to hallow his name, uh, to, to asking his kingdom to come and his will to be done and asking him to uh, give us our daily bread and to forgive us and to lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil uh, and, and to lead us uh, away from temptation. And then on Sundays, we're, we're going to go to the school of prayer and learn from Jesus himself. He, he teaches us, here in Matthew 6, he teaches us how to pray. and it's, He teaches us a, a glorious, wonderful, beautiful prayer. It's, it's cosmic in proportions, but it also it can, it condescends down to our daily needs. It's, it's, it, it encompasses the entire story of scripture. It's, it's, it's as, as wide as history, but then it's small enough for a little child to learn. It's a beautiful, wonderful prayer. It's, it's, it's a prayer that we can pray when we don't have any words to say, but it's also a prayer that gives us an outline to pray when, when our words are many. There's no inch of creation or of life that it doesn't cover. It's, it's a very, very important prayer for us to consider and learn from. So we're going to see that this morning also, that it teaches us about our God, about our, our heavenly Father, and, and about who we are in His Son. And so let's dig in. We're looking at Matthew 6, verses 5 to 9. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Matthew 6, verses 9 to 5, let's listen with reverence and joy. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others, truly, truly, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you um, for adopting us into your family. If We trust in your son and repent. And we ask that you would give us assurance of this identity uh, that we've received in Christ this morning as we consider um, his his teaching us to pray. Would you uh, move in us and would you help us to grow as as being uh, like dependent children, children that come to you and trust in you and and come to you with our needs and our desires and, and even our sins and struggles. Would you uh, grow us in, in dependence upon you and, and knowledge of you as our Father in heaven and in assurance of our identity as sons and daughters in Christ. Uh, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. All right, so it is the new year. Now you likely have goals and, and resolutions and things like that uh, for 2017. You might be planning to lose 10 pounds. You might be uh, planning to to improve your financial situation, take your vitamins take that spending class finally uh, you, you might be wanting to save money buy that house, better your position at work, improve your circumstances all those sorts of things and and and, and uh that that 's good or, or, or maybe if if you 're like a varsity christian you you, you have you know, goals and resolutions regarding spiritual disciplines. You're you're wanting to uh, you know, get get uh be more faithful in, in Bible reading and meditation and study and and in prayer. And and those things are good. I I, I, I let me tell you, I, I would never want to discourage anyone from uh being in the scriptures more and being in prayer more. Those are I don't think anyone is in, in danger of praying too much or reading the Bible too much. That's that's, that's good. It's good for us uh, as, as human beings made in the image of God to, to pursue discipline and, and corporate and personal means of grace and, and other areas of life also that are affected by, by New Year's resolutions. It's good to pursue growth and exercise dominion over creation and, and pursue discipline in those things and over our schedules and finances and, and all of those sorts of things. But we also need to remember that the chief end of man is not self-improvement. The chief end of man is, is, is not to become a, a, a better version of yourself. The chief end of man is not to, to uh, achieve a certain level of body fat percentage or, or to pursue uh, having your finances all figured out, having your finances all figured out. That's not the chief end of man or any of those other things that we normally talk about when we think about New Year's resolutions. And even when we begin to set goals and, and resolutions and things like prayer and Bible study, we should be mindful of this temptation. Uh, The the chief end of our existence is not even to maximize our own spiritual uh, potential or anything like that. To to think that way is to pollute Christianity with the very modernist, self-centered, consumeristic, materialistic ideology that, that consumes our culture. The chief end of our existence is not to become the best version of ourselves, as is so often thought. The chief end of our existence is not to to achieve our, our highest spiritual potential. The chief end of man, as the Westminster Catechism rightly states, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we exist. We exist for communion with, for enjoyment of, for worship of the Creator and the Redeemer of the universe. We exist to know God. That's what we should be resolved to do above all things. And this is essential in prayer. Uh, As as Paul Miller once said, we we struggle to learn how to pray because we're focused on praying, not on God. We're focused on on maximizing our spiritual potential. We're maximized on, on becoming better at prayer, not on God himself. And so I want to start out this series with just looking at who the God is that we're praying to, who, who He is and who we are in His Son. And when we know who God is, that changes everything for us in prayer. It changes everything. When, when we see that God is not the, a grumpy or weak or distant deity, but He's our sovereign King, our Heavenly Father in Heaven, our, our Father in Heaven. And that changes everything for prayer. That when we see that he's adopted us as his children and he calls us sons and daughters in Jesus, then prayer is the most natural thing that we can do. Not, not easy still, but it's the most natural thing we can do. As natural as a child asking their father for bread. This is, this is the path to true prayer. And Jesus addresses this for us in Matthew 6, 5-9. Uh, the outline that we're going to be looking at this morning is actually a little bit different than originally planned, so it's a little different from what's in your bulletin. But look with me at, at the two barriers to true prayer and the path to true prayer. At, at two barriers to true prayer and the path to true prayer. So let's jump into what he addresses first. First, he tells us that, that performance hinders true prayer. Uh, l- listen to what Jesus says. We're, we're going to read this again. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand... And pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus was, was preaching this sermon to a people that, that lived in a culture that highly valued prayer. Uh, in fact, the rabbis used to say that prayer is greater than all good works is very, very important. They had had many scheduled prayers that they would pray uh, throughout the day. For example, upon waking up in the morning and and, and laying down at night, they would pray what's known as the Shema, uh, which is a prayer taken from a few different places in Deuteronomy and Numbers. And and they had other prayers that they would would memorize and that they were to pray at different times uh, throughout the day. Even sometimes, uh, some of them had warm-up prayers, like as they're gearing up to, to pray, uh, getting themselves ready to pray. It was very involved. It took extraordinary discipline, and, 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 and they would pray this way every single day throughout the day. And when the time came, no matter what, no matter where they were, what they were doing, they would stop, and they would pray. And their, their discipline, their, their faithfulness is, is, is to be applauded here. It's, it's impressive, isn't it? They're very disciplined. They would spend hours, every day in what looked like prayerful communion with God. But what ended up happening is that some of these religious leaders, is, 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 what ended up happening with them is they started praying these prayers not to have loving communion, enjoying communion with God, but, but to be seen and admired by others. To be seen and admired by others. What ended up happening in this very religious culture is these, these religious leaders are, are hypocrites, which actually in the, relig- the original language means actor or, or, or like performer. They began to see prayer as an opportunity to put their righteousness on display to others uh, every time that it came time for them to, to pray. They began to perform for others in their praying. They began to see prayer as a performance. They would pray these big, long, scriptural prayers full of lofty uh, language, but they were just empty and shallow performances for others to see. And Jesus tells us that this, this performing is a barrier to, to true prayer. And if we're honest, I, I think this performance thing, it's, it's not just something that these religious leaders struggled with and, 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 and at this time. Our lives are marked by the same sort of struggle, aren't they? Maybe not in the way that we pray in, in public, but I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not see what a sociologist from the 50s suggested, that all of life is a, a performance, that this has become a pervasive and prevalent mindset among us. All of life is performance. The, the mindset is so pervasive and prevalent that private and personal prayer is, 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 is hardly valued at all. We, we, rather than, than praying in the morning, we scroll through social media feeds and craft the perfect tweet and take the perfect selfie and at the perfect angle. We, we play to our audience Sherry Turkle, a performance at MIT, interviewed 400 plus kids for her book, Alone Together. It's a wonderful book. And in her study, she found out that we were, as a culture, becoming more and more, this is what she says, we're becoming more and more externally manufactured rather than internally developed. On Twitter or Facebook, you're trying to express something real about who you are, but because you're also creating something for others' consumption, you find yourself imagining and playing to your audience more and more. So those moments in which you're supposed to be showing your true self become a performance. And we're by no means immune to that, are we? And what prayer to our Father does is it confronts and it dismantles this performer in us. Because prayer is, as Paul Miller puts it, where the real you meets the real God. And this is a large reason why, why prayerlessness plagues our lives. Because what we are in secret, what we are in solitude before God, is really what we are. And I think that freaks us out. It freaks us out a little bit. So we, we often avoid being alone in prayer because, honestly, there's no one to impress Isn't that so exhausting, constantly performing, playing to our audience, hardly ever taking off the masks and being our true selves? And Jesus offers this sweet antidote to us tired performers by just closing the door and praying to our Father in secret. And in those moments of prayerful solitude, we can take our masks off and be ourselves with the one who knows us better than we know ourselves anyway and still calls us children, still calls us sons and daughters in Christ. Praying in secret offers an oasis of authenticity and acceptance to our performance-ridden lives. We, we, we need prayer in the secret place. We, it, it offers a, a drink of cool water in the desert of, of people pleasing and performance. And so, as, as Chuck Spurgeon said, t- said to his congregation, get away to your God, oh Christian, get away to your God. Your, your heart is too wicked. Your, 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 your flesh is too weak. Your tendency to perform is too great for you not to get alone with God and spend time praying to your heavenly Father. You, you need to go to your closet and be with your Father. You must not be like the hypocrites, like the actors, like the performers. When you pray, go into your room and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Another barrier to prayer that Jesus mentions here is not just performing for others, but trying to perform for God an attempt to convince him to hear you and and answer. Listen to what Jesus says. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so it was a common practice for these religious Gentiles surrounding Israel in those days to so just pray these long, repetitive prayers, and they had these particular phrases when addressing certain gods or goddesses that if you prayed just right, that your prayers would be heard and answered. Now, un- understand that they, they, they believed that these gods were, were angry, but if you could address them with the right formula and with long prayers where you repeat words over and over again in great anxiety, you might appease them and they would hear you. And Jesus is saying, you can't do that with our our, our heavenly Father. You can't appease him by saying the right words. Or or to put it another way, this is praying like an orphan. This is praying like an orphan. Praying like a child that, that doesn't have the assurance that your Father hears you and loves you and is ready and willing to answer your prayer. And what he's confronting here is when we like God isn't a good and gracious Father and that Jesus isn't our sufficient Savior. He's, he's confronting our unbelief in the reality that God is our Father and that we're his adopted children. You see, because, because Jesus isn't just a good teacher that teaches us how to pray. He is our way to God so that we can pray and commune with God. He is our righteousness, our substitution, our way to God himself. Galatians 4, 4 to 6 says this, God sent forth his Son, of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And that text is telling us what's called the, uh, what, what's, uh, about what's called the doctrine of adoption. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism describes it this way, Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have the right to all the privileges, all the privileges of the sons of God. All the privileges of being a son of the king of the universe. See, if you, you trust in Jesus and repent, you, you, you don't need to appease God because God is recklessly for you in Christ. You don't don't need to jump through hoops to to get Him to hear and answer your prayer because He is for you. He hears you in Christ. Friends, if, if we're in union with Christ, God loves us just as He loves Jesus. Just as He is for Jesus, He is for us. He certainly hears our prayers if we're His children. He certainly hears our prayers if we are in Christ. And when we believe otherwise, when we believe, when we pray like this isn't true, when we think that, that we have to have the right words to, and, and say them this particular way and pray long enough for God to hear us, when we pray without the confidence that God hears our prayer, or when we don't pray at all, we're living like orphans. We're living like God isn't our Father. And there's a, a story in the Old Testament about an adoption that tells us about this very thing. It's about a young man named Mephibosheth. If you're looking for a name for your son, that's a good one, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, say that three times fast. He had a, a tragic story. He was the son of Jonathan, who was the son of, of King Saul. And when he was just a young baby, he was born, uh, both his father and, and his grandfather were slain in battle. And when news came back to the palace about their death, everyone panicked. Everyone panicked, and, and they, they fled the, the, the palace. And Mephibosheth's nurse grabbed him, and, and when she fled... In, in the chaos, she accidentally dropped him and he became disabled. He, he grew up without parents and he grew up without the use of his legs. And eventually, though, he did come to know the affection of a father. A while later, when David had become king in Israel, he asked, is there anyone still left in the, in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And they let him know that, that Mephibosheth was still alive, although he didn't have use of his legs. And so David Uh, had him brought to the palace. And, And 2 Samuel 9 actually describes their interaction. This is what it says. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. When David shows this kindness to Mephibosheth, it's actually rather hard for him to accept at first. He's, he's, he's not quite sure if he can believe it. It's too good to be true, or, or there's something else going on here that, that his defenses were up. Whatever it was, this is what he said to David, what, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? But David loved Mephibosheth. And he did exactly as he said he would do. He gave him back all of his land. He provided employees at the farm so it could be uh, tilled and 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 uh, so that he could have an income. And 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 he welcomes Mephibosheth to his table always to eat with him. And, and verse eleven of chapter nine says, "So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons." And what so strikes me is as I read this story is, is Mephibosheth's hesitancy to think this could really be happening. There's, there's, there's no hidden agenda here. But why would you show regard for such a dead dog as I? He's coming to the king as an orphan, but the king is giving him the position of being his son. He's welcoming him to his table always to, to eat with him, to commune with him. Friends, I I know that no one struggles to believe the promises of God because they lack generosity or enormity. I I know that it's very easy to pray like an orphan, to forget about our adoption, to forget that Christ has done it all and that now in Him we have all the rights and privileges of being sons of God. And that's why we must continually, fervently, and often go to God, our Father, in prayer, to know our Father and to be known by Him. This This is the path to true Prayer, knowing God, knowing that God is your Father. As D.A. Carson put it, real and vital knowledge of God not only teaches us what to pray, but it gives us powerful incentive to pray. And I would even add that real and vital knowledge of God is given to us when we pray. We we know God, our Father, and we are known by Him when we pray. This is the path that you pray. The reality is, is that prayer is simply being with your Father, simply being with your Father. Prayer is simply speaking to your Father. Prayer is about knowing your Father in heaven. And Jesus tells us this prayer, this path to prayer, simply praying like children, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. Now let's, let's, let's be clear, Jesus is not saying that we are all by nature God's children. That's, that's not what he's saying. In, in John 1.12, we see that all who did receive him, that is Jesus, for all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So only those who have received Jesus and believed in his name have the right to be called children of God because that right alone can be given by Jesus you know, God's, God's infinite holiness and in the depths of our, our sinfulness keep us from enjoying the rights and privileges of being God's children, children by nature. We must trust in and receive Jesus to have that right. But for those who are in Christ, we can call God our Father. God is holy. He is worthy of praise and honor and reverence. Yes and amen. We're going to talk about that at length next week. Next week. But listen to me, we are His children. He is our Father. We, we, we can call him Father. So A.W. Tozer said, we need to remember, of course, that when we think of the vast mysterium tremendum, that's the, the vast mysterious wonder that fills the universe, God, and all the other big words that philosophers use to describe God Almighty, he is the same God who called himself I am that I am, and his son taught us to call him our Father which art in heaven. A king sits on a throne, inhabits a palace, wears a crown and a robe, and they call him your majesty. But when his little children see him, they run to him and yell, Daddy. And so no matter what awe-filled terms the philosophers want to apply to the power that rules this universe, you and I can say, our Father who art in heaven. We can get intimate with God, and God loves it. And so the king of the universe, the the, the king who reigns over everything, the one and only omnipotent sovereign is our Father in heaven. We can get intimate with him, and he loves it. If that's true, why do we struggle so much to just pray? Why do we struggle so much to simply be with him, to simply speak to him? If that's true, then performance is a waste of time and praying to appease him isn't necessary. And, and not laziness or, or cynicism or any other uh, barrier to true prayer is a match for his, his, his love for us in Christ Jesus. We can simply come to him like little children coming to their father to just simply talk with him and, and be with him. You know, my, my three-year-old, my eight-month-old, they're not great at communication. Uh, My my three-year-old, she's still learning manners. She likes to to throw out demands, give me this, give me that. My my eight-month-old, he can't speak. He cries a lot and and laughs and, and makes all sorts of weird grunting noises. But the thing is, I treasure every bit of their communication with me. I love when they lift up their little arms toward me for me to pick them up. I love when they speak to me. I I, I love that it makes my heart swell with joy simply because I'm their father and they're my children. They always have access to me. They're not an interruption to more important things. I love them fiercely because I'm their father. And that's the same way that God feels about his son, Jesus, God loves Jesus, infinitely more so. God loves Jesus. Jesus is the beloved of God, the center of all of God's affection. We see this at at his baptism, at the baptism of Jesus. God is, is beaming, he's overjoyed, full of delight, and he has to tell the world. And so he says, this is my beloved son with whom my soul is well pleased. I love my son. God the Father delights in Jesus. He has an abundance of joy over his son. He has an abundance of affection for Jesus. He's beaming with joy over his son. And one of the most incredible things about the Lord's Prayer here is that Jesus tells us to pray, Our Father, not my Father, our Father. He doesn't just say my Father. Amazingly, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit and united, the person of Jesus, He shapes all that He is and all that He has with us. Just like in a marriage ceremony, this, this, we, we see this picture in a marriage ceremony when, when a husband and a wife, they say to one another, all that I am and all that I have, I share with you, I give to you. That's what Christ says over us in our union with him. So all that Christ is, all that he has, we can boldly claim as our own. We can say, that is mine because I am in Christ. Everything he is, everything he has is mine because I'm in him, including his sonship. So now if we're in Christ, we too are at the center of our heavenly Father's affection. Now because God is our affectionate Father, we can go to him with all of our dirt and our mess and our sins and our struggles, And his heart is still bursting with affection. He's still joyful over us and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, with whom my soul is well pleased. God God loves you infinitely more than, than a parent could even love their child. And what does that have to do with prayer? That has everything to do with prayer. Everything to do with prayer. Because your prayer life will never be any better than your understanding of God as your father. You don't understand that God is your Father. You won't be able to to take your sin and your struggles to Him. You won't be able able to take your requests and your petitions. You won't be able to take your needs and your desires to Him. You won't have confidence that He hears you. You won't be able to to enjoy Him and and His presence because you'll, you'll be constantly trying to appease Him. And you can't enjoy someone that you're constantly trying to appease. Friends, if you're in Christ, God is pleased with you you are in christ he loves you as he loves his son you don't need to go through the effort to appease him because it's been done on your behalf in christ he loves us as he loves jesus he hears us as he hears jesus he listens to he cherishes he's joyfully responding to our prayer all because of jesus all because jesus in the in his perfection as the son of god he had one of his prayers denied in the garden, he, he went to the cross and he prayed that God would let this cup pass from him. Father, let this cup, let this crucifixion, let this pass from me. But instead, Jesus tasted the hell of separation from the Father on the cross so that we could taste the sweetness of communing with him as his adopted children. And now prayer is the most natural act for us. Prayer is, is natural. It's the language of the adopted. Prayer is natural for us. That doesn't make it easy, but it's it's natural for us. With all confidence, we draw near to God, bring all of our praise and petitions, our confessions and desires to Him, knowing that He hears us as our loving Father. In the coming weeks, we're going to dig into the Lord's Prayer, and may we experience the joy of being with our Father as we ask Him to hallow His name, His kingdom come, His will be done for him to provide our daily bread and to forgive us and to lead us not into temptation. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would give us assurance of our adoption in Christ. That our, our adoption is as sure as Jesus is alive. And that he's at your right hand and, and that because we're united with him, we're, we're seated with him there and we can, we can speak with you as your children and you hear us, and you respond to our prayers. Would you give us assurance of this? Lord, and we ask that as we're assured, would you empower us in the Spirit to, to truly come to you and pray, not to, not to be distracted, not to perform, not to, not to feel like we need to appease you or earn anything from you, but simply to enjoy being with you as our Father. Simply enjoy uh, being with you as, as, as your adopted children. Lord, we, we need you. Would you grow us in this in the next uh, seven weeks? Would you help us, Lord, to, uh, to truly come to you in prayer and to enjoy communion with you? And we ask that you would grow us in dependence upon you and sanctify us in your truth, Lord. We, we need you. Would you help us as we go from here to not just be hearers of the word only, but doers as well?